thank you. Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Fight Night Newark. Colby Covington versus Robbie Lawler from the city that never sleeps. That's what they call Newark, right? What? I thought that was... Like that, is, that is New York. New York. That's the joke. Oh. Newark's the trash city where the devils play. Yeah, yeah. However, however, you got to live there if you're working in New York because it's so much cheaper. And the drive is really not that bad. We're in Toronto. The drive's pretty bad. We understand bad drives. But yeah, the few times that I've been visiting, like Newark, a lot of people are just stable there and you make your uh, commute to the city. So last week we had a winner in the draw. Excellent. They gave their favorite. People got confused by the Canadian versus like active fighter versus active UFC fighter. I don't know whether. I don't know whether our boy Poppy Hoppy uh, wrote GSP. As long as they rank GSP. You know what? I don't really even care. As long as they. Poppy Hoppy, congratulations. You won 20 DK dollars. If you want to get into a draw for 20 DK dollars this week. Colby Covington's headlining the card. He's a pretty hated guy. I imagine he's going to be the chalk answer in this. So you, all you got to do is give the episode a like, share your DK handle, say who in the UFC you hate the most. Colby Covington's got to be the, the goat answer here. It's going to be the chalk, right? I, I, I like people. I, like I love Colby, Colby too. Yeah, I don't, I don't there, is, there is a divide. There are people who like Colby. Of course there's a divide. There are people who dislike More Colby. people who dislike Colby. Way more Wait. people. He's a heel. He's a classic heel character, though. Yeah. That's what the division needed. Yeah. He's hilarious. Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully, and I'm just hoping. The last guy who I was high up on, who was a fantastic wrestler and was hilarious, got KO'd in about six seconds with a flying knee. So I'm hoping that Colby Covington doesn't walk into a Robbie Lawler bomb and get floored. But uh, could be could be a tough one. 100%. All right, let's move on to the main event, which is Colby Covington taking on Robbie Lawler. Colby Covington, 9,000 on DraftKings, 72 100 for Lawler, minus 225 Covington, plus 185 Robbie. I'm going to lay it on you guys pretty quick here. ATT absolutely crushing the game right now. Absolutely. Mike Brown, uh, Conan Silveria, all of their team, absolutely murdering the game right now. Robbie Lawler spent a lot of his good years in MMA when he had the title and everything like that at the specific gym with the specific coaches. They've been, uh, you know, the the outline for how to beat Robbie Lawler pretty much laid out in the RDA fight. Colby Covington is going to just reenact that exact matchup. This gym knows uh, Robbie Lawler better than anybody else. Colby's their, their golden boy at ATT right now. I think Colby Covington by convincing five-round decision. That's how I see this one shaking out. Like that's, that's how, I think it's about just as easy as that. I think those coaches, that's a ma- massive, massive X factor for me, especially considering how good they've been right now and the amount of information they have on the opponent for their golden boy. Colby Covington all day. What about you? All right. Here's another thing you got to take in consideration with Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler is a guy that's been fighting literally since the dawn of time. I think he made his debut 2001. He's had 18 years of pro experience in this sport. Funny story about Robbie Lawler at like UFC, here we go, 37. Uh, he makes his, he fights Aaron Riley in the UFC. It's a Friday night. The next night, he takes his then girlfriend out to her senior prom. She's 18, he's 20 or something. It's like he's been fighting since he's a kid. 
And you got to remember those years in Strike Force. You got to remember those years in Elite XC. You got to remember those years where he just looks completely done in. He's uninterested. The old Robbie Lawler that's knocking guys out is gone. And we're getting a new version of Robbie that, you know what, we're just not accustomed to. Then he makes that switch to American Top Team. That switch, Paul, was everything to Robbie Lawler. They completely built him back up, reinvigorated him, got his career back going, win him a championship, and then he bails on the gym after they win him a championship. And it's kind of been downhill since. Tyron Woodley knocks him out. He left them after that. And he, the one win that he has in that little stretch of time, Donald Cerrone, again, not convincing by no stretch. He's had some ups and downs. That fight with Rafael Dos Anjos, like you said, oh, the, the blueprint is there how to beat him. I don't think it's necessarily that Rafael Dos Anjos went out there and outclassed him in every aspect of it. It's that Robbie's knee gives out. And that's just a sign of 37-year-old Robbie Lawler 18 years as a pro, 40 over 40 professional fights, he, he's getting long in the tooth, whereas Colby Covington's all pace all the time on him. They used to be training partners. They used to be sparring partners. He helped him get ready for the Johnny Hendricks fight, and the Johnny Hendricks fight was a fight that Robbie Lawler gave up takedowns in. Robbie Lawler, everybody always talks about how great his takedown defense is and how, you know what, that's the great thing about him. He's a banger. He's a striker. He's got a great chin, but he can stuff the takedown against these wrestlers, keep it standing, and beat them up. But it's interesting to note that eventually he did get taken down by Ben Askren. He got taken down twice against Rafael Dos Anjos. He got taken down by Donald Cerrone. He got taken down five times by Hendricks the second time. He was taken down by Matt Brown. He was taken down by Jake Ellenberger. Taken down by Hendricks the first time. Four times by Rory McDonald. Two times against Josh Koscheck. He even got taken down against Lorenz Larkin back in the day. He does give up takedowns, and that's a big problem against Colby Covington, who is just going to chain wrestle him, shoot multiple takedowns. The one thing that I think we can dispute here, because you're on Covington, I'm on Covington, I think we get the win here, unless some crazy, again, Jorge Mazadol crazy situation where he knocks him out before the fight really gets sure. started. I see Colby Covington getting the win. But you say convincing five-round decision, and I don't know that if Robbie's not the Robbie that we remember, that maybe the pace gets to him over 25 minutes of that grueling. Like, Rafael Dos Colby just doesn't finish a sandwich, though, man. Like, it's yeah, been... That's fair. He, that's just, fair. he just that's doesn't. Fair. Yeah, I get it. I'm just, just, I'm just I'm just trying to contemplate And Robbie doesn't head. have to quit. I don't think he has quit in him. Like, he's going to continue to fight. That's why I think decision. If it was a late finish, would I be surprised? No. Right, right. So now, I know the fans are usually accustomed to getting pricing and all that up, but I, we'll, we'll make it clear here. We're shorthanded to start this show. Paul's got to make the switches himself. We toner. Apparently, Pat Mayo used all the toner out of the uh, printer. You can tweet We him have the prices. I sent all the prices. Right, but... You just have the to two, listen. The 220, the 220 on Colby Covington, yeah. I'm feeling it. I'd like to get a better price if I thought by decision, and I should crush that decision. For whatever reason, gut feeling, I think I'm just going to take the 220 on Colby Covington. Yeah. The DraftKings pricing, again, we talk about these guys that have the capability of potentially smashing DraftKings pricing, and that's exactly what he is. He can just absolutely go off yeah, on the gets for multiple like, takedowns. Because Robbie's got good takedown defense. If he can get, he, he can get like 8, 9, 10 takedowns in this freaking fight, man. And you know he's going to attempt 20, 20 takedowns. Mm -hmm. If he goes 50% on his takedowns, you know he's going to get a bunch of them. And on top of that, it's not that his significant strikes have any type of like meaningful impact. It's the fact nope. that he seemingly just keeps throwing them and throwing them and throwing them. So the only other concern I have with Colby Covington, I think he's been off like 14 months. He had mentioned he had a couple health problems. But at 31, he's not shop-worn. He should be, you know, I would say prime of his career, peak physicality, and uh, let's go get the win. So I'm interested in playing Covington, and that'll be the pick here. We move on down the car. We have Jim Miller taking on Clay the Carpenter Guida. Jim Miller, 8,900 on DraftKings. Clay Guida can be had for 7,300. 
Jim Miller is a minus 165 favorite with the comeback on Aguida. Plus 145. Who you got here, Cody? You know what? I think I'm going to take a poke at the dog early on Clay Guida. Both guys actually match up pretty similar to each other. I know that Jim Miller with his black belt in the submission game, yes, he could definitely choke out Clay Guida and put him away. But I'm liking the pricing on Clay Guida. Guida's a tough guy. He's been around the UFC for a long time. Obviously a savvy enough veteran. But outside of him getting caught by world-class guys with the submissions... He's pretty solid. And I think with Jim Miller, they're both kind of in that similar situation where they're, okay, we're, we're veteran lightweights uh, with good wrestling, decent striking. It's going to come down to maybe pacing. And Clay Guida, that's where he's got the advantage. He's 37, Miller's 35. But Miller's just kind of had, you know, massive amounts of wars in there. There's no doubt he's slowing down a little bit. I've noticed with Jim Miller is that he'll have a really good first round. And if he can get the submission on Clay Guida, and he might be able to, then he'll need to do it in the first round. But the longer it progresses, I feel like Clay will get, get to him. When you look at Clay's record, right, he loses to Brian Ortega, but he's looking good up until he gets knocked out by that knee in that third round. But then he dominates Eric Koch. He smashes Joe Lozon early in the first round, and then he gets caught by Charles Oliveira, but that's no big deal. Rebounds from that against BJ Penn. I'll admit, Paul, doesn't look great in the first round. He's getting touched up by BJ Penn. Like, that's not a great sign, but it's his pacing. It's the fact that he can just keep going on you, keep going on you, keep going on you. So with Jim Miller, Jim Miller's been looking decent these days just because he's been fighting subpar competition, and if he gets them to the ground, he's got a nice little rear naked choke. Again, he is a BJJ black belt. If he gets you down, it could be trouble. But I think the ground game's going to be neutralized here, and that I don't think Jim Miller has got the wrestling at this point in his career to take down Clay Guida. And if he doesn't take down Clay Guida, this is going to be a boxing match for three rounds. A boxing match that Miller will have some success in, maybe win that first round, but pacing and volume should eventually go to Clay Guida. So I'm really interested because it was plus 150. It's 145 now, depending on what you're going to get it at. It's dog pricing. Both guys are pretty similar. It's kind of a dog or pass situation. So I'll get my first dog out of the way early and say uh, Clay Guida would be my pick here. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, just in terms of the pacing... Miller's no slouch. No, no, no. Like if he gets him up against the cage, like uh, Guida's probably gonna do try to do a lot of cage work. He definitely, he definitely keeps a higher pace. It's it's super dicey. Miller is Miller Miller is not the same Miller from back in the day. No, a little bit. Miller is the um, the hometown boy though, but. That that they they have so many they have so many fights in New Jersey that like I don't know if home cooking is really a thing there. Yeah, maybe not in a place like New Jersey. Yeah, I can New see York, it, New Jersey. I can it's see just it like, in small places like yeah. Indiana. It's like we're going to give it to the guy exactly. who's local to this area. But Yeah, yeah, I feel you there. Yeah, I think it's dog or pass. Probably more of a pass for me. Anyway, let's move on. We have Nazareth Hakbaras taking on Joaquin Silva. Nazareth Hakbaras, 9,100 on DraftKings. Uh, Joaquin Silva can be half for 7,100. And uh, Nazareth is a minus 245 favorite, plus 205 for Silva. I think this line's kind of out of hand, to be perfectly honest. Like, why do we think that that Joaquin Silva sucks? Like, he's coming off of a barn burner of a fight Ooh. against Jared Gordon, where he, looked good, he was eating shots, he was giving shots. Like, he's a very muscular, physical kind of guy. Like, I know Nazareth's been on a run. People, the, the betting community really seems to like this guy, but... It just the price just seems way too wide here. Um, I could definitely see Silva pulling off the upset. I see it being relatively close, really everywhere. Um, 
I see some value on Silva. I may take a poke. I haven't done anything yet. What about you? Yeah, for this one, I'll go with Nazareth. I think it'll come down to a good sound game plan. The thing with Joachim Silva is he's got the skills. I mean, he is a banger. He's got good Muay Thai. He's got good BJJ. Uh, and he did really look good in that Jared Gordon fight. But he's losing that Jared Gordon fight up until the moment Gordon gets touched up. His chin's kind of been suspect as of late. And then he just abandons the game plan and goes into brawler mode. And again, brawler mode against Joaquim Silva did not work for him. But Nazareth's not like that. He's got better counterpunching. He's a longer ranger guy. Should be able to find the mark a little bit better. And coming out of that TriStar gym, even though I don't think they've been on a great roll recently, they're going to have a good sound game plan for how not to brawl with Joaquim Silva, which is what you not want to do. So Nazareth... I feel like he's going to have the size advantage. This is one that I want to wait till I see it on the scales uh, because even though I should be a little more in on Nazareth, you're right. The pricing on it is a little bit out of hand. I'd want to get a little bit better. It's almost like they're overlooking Joaquim Silva, and I overlooked Joaquim Silva against Jared Gordon, who I was all in on. So don't want to make that mistake again, but I feel like Nazareth's going to get the win. I feel like Nazareth could potentially finish, but more likely going to get that decision victory. DraftKings not interested. If the price sits at where it's at, He's not a parlay piece because there is some risk there, but I, I would I'm gonna play some shares of him anyways. We got uh, Trevin Giles taking on Gerald Mearshart. Trevin Giles eighty five hundred on DraftKings uh, to Gerald Mearshart seventy seven hundred. The odds have these two guys set up at minus one seventy and plus one fifty. Who you got, Cody? Yeah, see, this is a, a difficult one for sure because with Trevin Giles, it's like the last fight, I don't know if that last fight's a great indicator of where this guy's actual skill set's at. I mean, the Zach Cummings fight, again, a lot of people were kind of high up on him coming in there, feeling that Zach Cummings is a little bit older, a little bit slower, and that Trevin Giles is either just going to counterpunch this guy or stay more active than him, outwork him a little bit. And it's the other way. He doesn't look good. His cardio totally lets up on him. He gasses fairly early into the fight, and it's just not a good look for him. He ends up getting choked out. After he gets floored in the third round by Cummins, he ends up getting choked out by Cummins guillotine late in the fight. Not a good look. But the thing that I'm taking consideration there is that he hadn't fought in the UFC in a while. Like he fought Braganito December 2017 and then took a year and a half off before he came back against Zach Cummings. Now he's getting just a three-month turnaround. So whereas a lot of people are contemplating, is three-month turnaround good for this guy? Like he just got dropped. He just got choked out. Three months is not enough to fix your cardio issues. Maybe he should have taken a little bit longer. But I feel like he just... Just need to shake some of that ring rust off. He is a better counterpuncher. He's only 26 years old. There's no reason to think that he's going backwards in his career. I just feel like it wasn't his night against Cummings. And then if anything, it should be a good learning experience out of it. Gerald Mearshart, he's a total wild card because like he's a decent grappler. He's got okay wrestling, but his fights are just all over the place. Like I, I, I don't know if he's gonna get knocked out in the first two minutes of this fight, or if he's gonna fight on, you know, with a frantic pace and end up tiring Trevin Giles out and, and eventually get to him and break him. So I'm gonna go with the younger, uh, faster, better counterpuncher here in Trevin Giles. But again, this is a card that I think a lot of experienced gamblers will look at and say there's not a great, lot of great spots that you like because there's a lot of inherent risk. So yes, I'm gonna go with Giles here, but. Mearshart, again, I called him the wild card for a reason because his fights are almost 50-50. Like, this is a guy that was taking down Tiago Santos until he got knocked out. But at his best, he can take down, seemingly not anybody, but he can take down some of the better guys in the division. He can hang. At his worst, it's just like he looks completely lost out of there. His punches got absolutely no snap to them. Uh, his ring IQ suspect at times, and so is his gas tank. So I would totally avoid him at all costs. Mearshart's not a guy that I could ever play with any confidence. Whereas Giles, even though he's coming off a loss, maybe this is the time to recover some of that value and get it back. So I think we'll get a better version of him. Again, I go back to the fact that at 26, I, unless it's a confidence issue, 
coming back in three months should be better for him and just getting that competition time in. The problem is Gerald Mishart is a DraftKings superstar, Cody. He gets the win, absolutely. He got 70 points. He got robbed last fight. Um, yeah, he would have scored, scored, nice. scored 102 yeah, with that yeah. decision. He scored he 72, 72 in a loss. Yeah. Now it was against Kevin Holland, who gave up losses. There was a lot of disgusting, greasy type of uh, that's what's not scrambling happen. and stuff here. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to. I'm not playing Trevin Giles on DraftKings. I'll tell you that much. I don't think I'm going to bet him either. I'm not going to bet Mearshard. I hate that it's like it's full out kind of pass for me. But I I I may play Mearshard on DraftKings just because at that uh, at the price that he's at and the way that he performs in draft, like hey, seventy seven hundred. He almost he almost beat that in a loss last fight out. Yeah. Seventy two points in a loss. When he wins, he scores over a hundred. He, he does really really well. But, uh, yeah, he's – and, like, Trevin Giles' power doesn't really worry me. He's not exactly – he doesn't have much pop on those strikes. He's not big for the weight class. I think that's his problem is that he, if he could somehow move down – because he's not ripped by no means. Like, it looks like he's fighting up a weight. But I think you're right there. The other thing that if you're going to be a Mearshart player, it's not the worst like option is, is that Mearshart is a finisher. His four wins in the UFC all by finish. Um He's got three three submissions and a body kick over Eric Spicely. So, like, the, yeah, the guy's not completely lost out, of the, out there by no stretch. $7,700 if you think that Giles is going to gas again and Mearshart can push a pace on him. And if Mearshart's going to win, you know, historically speaking, he wins inside the distance. So I'm feeling you there. All right, let's move on down the card. We have Scott Hot Sauce Holtzman taking on not that Dung Young Kim because he doesn't even go by that fucking name anymore. Dung Young Ma. Dung Young Ma. What's the up with Maestro. That? Do you think everybody was eventually like, hey, dude, there's no no sense in progressing like this? I would be like, yo, yeah, well, he, he, since he dropped that name, he hasn't been progressing. Yeah, yeah. If I'm his manager, I'm like, dude, I literally just saw, got a spot with you making a nightclub appearance under the impression that they're getting UFC veteran Dunyan Gim. And they don't mm-hmm. know it's you. We're playing off this. If you change it, we've lost all marketability. That Polo Reyes fight, that was pretty badass. What has really come of him since then? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It was kind of just like a one-off magical moment on a magical card. Anyway, Holtzman is 9,300 on DraftKings to Maz 6,900. Holtzman is minus 440. Maz is plus 350. Like, there's no, I can't have any faith in Dunga Maz at this point, especially with like Holtzman, who's super, super strong for the division. I know he lost against uh, Nick Lentz in a, but that was just a bad stylistic matchup. I, uh, the thing is, 9,300 on DraftKings. I just don't want to pay up for Holtzman in this because you have to remember, Dung Young Ma does have the judo background. Yeah. I imagine his hips, his, his style, at least early on, is going to be probably a little bit tougher to take down. I think Holtzman just kind of beats him on the feet as it is um, and like maybe a lot of cage work, that type of thing, until he wears him down. Then he starts to get the takedowns. But for 9,300... I need you getting those takedowns immediately and going for those takedowns immediately. I need you, Colby Covington, out there, going out there, getting those takedowns, securing those takedowns. Holtzman, I'm just, you know, he doesn't come from this. He comes from a hockey background. He doesn't come from the same wrestling background and all of this. So it's like, for 9,300, I know Holtzman does utilize this type of pressure wrestling strikers kind of game, but... 
9300 it's just too much. No, see, that $9,300 is completely reflective of the fact that he's just quite simply 4-1. Yeah, to one. Yep. Like, this is not a guy that goes out there and scores big points. If he does get takedown, 2, maybe 3 in the fight. His significant strikes average, 40, 50 in the fight. He, he's not a guy that's going to go out there and score big for you. At 35 years old, yeah, 100% late starter. He was a pro hockey player, a semi-pro hockey player mm-hmm. for the majority of his career. And then eventually he turns to MMA, has a decent little run. But seeing him new, lose to Nick Lentz, no shame in that. But that is just, it really shows that uh, Holtzman has massive limitations. At 35, we found out where his hump is. When you look at the wins in the UFC, this guy's had an incredible run here. Tony Christodoulou, your old boy, Anthony Christodoulou. Yeah, right? Tony Puddings. Which, which, by the way, it takes him like oh, late in the third round to get the finish over yep. him. Cody Pfister, Michael Hardly McBride, Daryl Horcher, which would be a good fight if this was the Jersey regional scene, which is, this is a Jersey UFC event, not the regional scene. And Alan Patrick, which is his career win to date. But after that, it's like, okay, you got to beat a guy like Nick Lentz, who's also a little late in his career. Let's see what you can do. And he he had no answer for Lentz. Lentz outstruck him. Lentz is out, it'll outgrapple him. What I'm worried about... He did about, come on hard in round three, though. did come hard on round three because every time he wanted to... Stri- it looked like he just wanted to bang. And Lentz was like, no dice, dude. I'm going to take you down at will. Dunyan Kim probably wants to bang too, but doesn't have the wrestling to decide I want to take Holtzman down. So Holtzman should have his way. I think he wins this fight. The only one thing is the 400. Mm-hmm. Now, he took two, two and a half rounds to take out Chris Adalu. But besides that, his win over Fister, decision. His win over Michael McBride, decision. The fight with Horcher, decision. The win over Alan Patrick, late, but... I don't know that I can rely on this guy to go out and get a finish or score multiple takedowns or just absolutely thrash a guy. I mean, the Alan Patrick fight is like the one outlier in what he's maybe capable of uh, as a generality in his fights. So I would, the 400 is way too steamed. And the the, the, the DK pricing being completely reflective of that is also steamed. So I, I do think Holzman wins at 35 it's just too much for me. It's too much. I don't have any confidence in this guy moving forward. And at any point, it could be the wheels coming off for him. So I completely agree against the win, but I completely disagree with the way it's valued. We got Darko Stosic taking on Kennedy and Juku. Uh, Stosic one, minus 135 on the betting line, and Juku is plus 115, 8,400 and 7,800 respectively. What you take here, Cody? You know what? I'm going to go with my second dog here in Kennedy Injaku. Whoa, yeah, going against the Croatian. I know. I, a Serbian. So that happens. Uh, Croatians going against Serbians. Yeah, yeah, there's a long, it's a long history of that. And even though he's the protege of the great Miracle Krokop himself, uh, he's not a kickboxer. He's a judo guy. That's kind of his base. Like, you want him to go out there and throw leg kicks because have you seen this guy's thighs, man? Like, his legs are fucking gigantic. Looks like Pat Barry out Holy there. shit. He's like a Greek pillar. That's how he's built but you know what i mean he doesn't have any type of pacing to him whatsoever that devin clark fight was absolutely abysmal whereas with kenny and jaku i'm gonna argue that the loss and to paul craig is the best probably a good case scenario for him here's a guy who's a freak fucking athlete paulie six foot five he's athletic and he's so unbelievably green in his ufc career or in his mma career in general because a, when you're that big of an athlete, you know, it's going to take you time to figure out your range and figure out your timing and figure out your own personal game. But at the same time, undefeated at 6-0 and and smashing everybody they put in front of him, it, he's not building. He's not building properly. Doesn't get signed the first time off Dana White's Contender Series fight, but gets to the UFC. And then that Paul Craig fight. It really gives you the impression of how green he is. You know, I, I, I thought the first round was pretty close. You can argue Craig won it. 
The second round, I thought he won. He loses a point on an eye poke. The, both rounds are close. And then in the third round, he's doing fine. He follows Craig to the ground where he shouldn't have, and he gets choked out. He was tired. He made a rookie mistake. All that stuff's bad for him. But, man, when you're that athletic, you're young, and you're making improvements, Fortis MMA guy, I'm expecting improvements out of him. I'm expecting a better version of him to come out of this. Whereas when I look at Darko, Darko looked terrible against Devin Clark. Terrible. It, it was basically just try to wall install this guy as long as I can. Grappling was completely ineffective. His striking relied on just wild bombs. And here's the problem, is that he's six feet tall. And Devin Clark's tiny for the division. I think he's also six feet tall. So that don't matter. You can swing bombs on him. But Kennedy's 6'5". <coughs> now, Ken <laughs> Kennedy's 6'5 against Paul Craig's 6'3". Again, it's two tall guys. Whereas Darko's last fight against Devin is two short guys. But now we're getting tall guy against short guy. Tall guy that wants to stay on the outside and counter punch. Versus Darko, who's super short and is going to wing punches. Am I worried that Darko gets him up against the cage, use that judo background, hip tosses him to the ground, tires him out, stays heavy on top? Yes, possibly. But I'm getting dog money on Kennedy, so I'm willing to take a shot on there. And then last point I got to make on Darko is that fight with Devin Clark. I know I just argued uh, in the last fight that the three months is not going to be bad for Trevin Giles. You know, he, he's... He's going to shake off some of that ring rust. But in Darko's case, Darko just literally fought two months ago and looked abysmal. Cardio issues, striking issues, grappling issues, issues all around. I know you can make an argument. Some people thought they thought that he may have won the fight, didn't win the fight, looked awful. Two months later, I don't know that he would have made those improvements. Where I'm, I'm expecting to see something out of Kennedy here. So another dog play, Kennedy. I, I don't love it on DK for the simple fact that it, he's. I don't know that he finishes Darko. Darko seems like a pretty tough dude all around. But for the money line value, I, I would take a shot there. I haven't really tracked the uh, the line movement on this one here. Let me just quickly. So he opened. Uh, eh, it's been. Kind of around the same price as it is right now. So I'm like minus 135 plus 115. I, well, I imagine if you want to get in on Kennedy, do it before the weigh-ins. Because just, just when you see the stare down between them, like there's a massive size, length, reach, advantage in general. Obviously... Uh, Stosich is like built like a shit brick house, but like, yeah, uh, he's a short, stocky little tank. But I yeah. mean, like, if we've learned anything in this day and age in the UFC, it's like these long rangey guys. Kennedy's problem is that he just got caught by a late ass triangle choke in a fight that I kind of thought he was winning till that point. But making those mistakes as a young, undefeated athlete is going to be good for you. So getting him at dog money here, I don't know why Darko's a favorite. Like, <laughs> he looked awful last time, and I'm not sure what they're looking at. And, oh, oh you knocked out Jeremy Kimball. Oh, shit, looked pretty good there. Like, fuck you off. Jeremy Kimball was your about? boy. Yes, yes, yes. But I think at, at this point, we all know the Jeremy Kimball experiment was done. He's a guy that's probably fighting two weight classes too heavy and uh, just never really got going to his expectations, or my expectations of him, I should say. But yeah, Darko, not not going there. So give me Kennedy. We got Salim Tuari taking on Mickey Gall. Salim Tuari is minus 125 favorite. Comeback on Mickey Gall is plus 105. 89 or 8,300 Tuari, 7,900 Gall. 
we got here. Yeah, okay, so this is like a raging debate right now amongst the uh, Twitter MMA gambling community that just like, oh, man, Gall, everybody was so high on him. Now they're not against him. Salim has not looked good in the UFC at all, and yet people are somehow backing him under the assumption that Gall is just that much worse. This fight is the biggest pass oh, yeah. of all time. It I've seen, no I've seen, I've seen people this. like making like really hard Zero. arguments. It's just like... But but I got to give a pick, and I I think uh, I would never bet all in a million years. No. And at the show, at the end of the show, when I wrap it up, I'm gonna have to give a pick, and that's gonna be tough here because like I don't bet all. But he's from New Jersey. He's in New Jersey. That's gonna be at least something. He's taking the fight on a month's notice too. You know what? Fuck man, this is a stay away fight. If you want to go okay. goal, here's the issue. He's taking the fight on a month's notice. His last fight against Diego Sanchez, he said that his kidneys shut down making weight nice. and that he's too big for 170. But now he's going to make 170 on a month's notice? This other guy's been taking, getting ready for... Rom or uh, Salim sorry, he has been getting ready already. He's got a full camp under him. His fight with Worley Alves. Worley Alves is a good grappler. Black belt. Mm -hmm. Better grappler than Mickey Gall. Couldn't really take him down. You know, his next fight, same thing. It's like he's outmatched. He's not fighting particularly great guys, but they can't take him down. Thiago Alves had... No success, right? Yeah, like Mickey Gall's grappling has only ever been effective against who? Sage Northcutt and CM Sa fucking Punk. So you got Sage Northcutt, right? Uh, like a who is child, like, a child star. He's a right? child. He's like he's like, he's like a, ch a child star. Then you've got uh, Mike Jackson, who's a photographer, and uh, yeah, and, and CM got, Punk, who's, who's the, an actor, who's the best in the world, who's an actor, and oh, like, yeah, who yeah, who's a pro wrestler. So and then, but then. But then, nobody ever talks about this. He chokes out George Sullivan. And whereas that's not super impressive, don't get me wrong, Sullivan's a black belt. Another black belt at a BJ. You know He's what? under Kurt Pellegrino out of Here's New Jersey. Here's another guy, George he Sullivan, that back. you have been talking so <laughs> much love for over the years. He won that fight. You he never did. He ain't day. done shit. <clears throat> okay, George fair. Sullivan never did shit at this fair, level. Fair. Here's my counter Sorry. argument. Here's my counter argument for the whole Mickey Gall thing. Is that Gall got signed to the UFC and he should have never been there in the first place. Totally green, should not be here. But they think, hey, this is a fun little fight for CM Punk. So they give him a nothing fight. And after the CM, after the Mike Jackson fight, he's still not UFC ready. And and after the, the, the fight with CM Punk, he was, still wasn't UFC ready. And after the fight with Northcutt and George Sullivan and Randy Brown exposed him and Diego Sanchez really exposed him, you, you just know this guy is not UFC ready. But those three wins that we talk about were guys that were just were in the same boat. They're just they shouldn't be here. And his losses to Randy Brown and Diego Sanchez. Diego Sanchez got thirty fucking fights in this organization, so he deserves to be here. And Randy Brown, wow, looks like a lot of people are wrong on him. He deserves to be here too. So you can't discredit Mickey Gall that much. He's fighting decent guys here, and he had some moments against Randy Brown, but he gassed out. And he had some moments early against Diego Sanchez on the feet, until he gassed out. So you can see some skill there. You can see where he's a young guy, maybe three, four years down the road if he was to fight for organizations like LFA or Bellator. Like maybe he could progress to a UFC caliber guy. But right now, he's just not there. The issue is that he's taking a guy in Salim Tuari who's just not there either. You know what I mean? Like he's barely squeaking volume fights against mid-level guys to begin with. And where he's, he does have some durability and does have some power in his shots and he does have some decent takedown defense, there's just not enough volume out of him, Paul. He just doesn't quite do enough. So Gall, being the bigger man here, should be able to just stay on the outside, outstrike him long enough to hopefully get a hold of him, peel him to the ground, take his back, and choke him out. If it doesn't happen, then he's going to gas out and he's going to give it up. What this all culminates down to is, you'd want no part of this shit. 
Stay do we, away do we, you from You want no this part fight. of this shit. Just move on and stay away. So th- that's that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to enjoy this fight with a nice cool beer in my hand, but I'm not going to sweat this one out and be like, fuck, man, why did I do that? Or why did I back this guy publicly? All right. Well, then, then you know what? We're going to move on. Not even a dogger pass. This is a straight... It's a, it's pretty much an even fight anyway. So. Yeah, we're going to move if on. If there was a fat dog, I'd bet him, but it's even, so fuck that. I'm out of here. We're going to move on. We've got uh, Antonina Shevchenko taking on Lucy Pudulova. 8,600 Shevchenko, 7,600 Pudulova. Uh, uh, Shevchenko is minus 145. Favorite Pudulova is plus 125. I mean... We were right here saying that, Roxy. I actually better. I don't yeah. know if you ended up pulling no, the trigger on it. I can't bet, Roxy. Never have, I, never uh, I, I better. Can't, I better against Shevchenko as like a plus 300 underdog. It's all styles, though. It's all styles. And this style, I see a lot of people going and betting Pudilova. And the girl's got a lot of heart. Her striking technique is pretty good. But the stylistic matchup, like, think it's about, think about Antonina getting ready for this fight. Okay, you got Lucy Pudilova. Oh, she's gonna try to take you down. Probably not. Or she's gonna maybe. She's, she's, she's gonna probably try. Is she gonna be effective in doing so? Probably not. Or if she is, it's not gonna be as effective as Roxy, who is a veteran who has yeah, been doing yeah, this for yeah. years and years and years. So okay, we have a, stri- a stand-up striking match. I've got Valentina, my sister, is the best striker in women's MMA. Like you can just. I, I just I, don't I, know I just think Pudalova I just don't think Pudalova is going to be able to do I much. Think I think Shevchenko wins. I don't think this is a good price or a good fight. Like eighty six hundred for Shevchenko. No, they're both. You need a lot of volume. Yeah, you need a lot of volume. She's not going to get any real takedowns or anything like that. Um, if this closes closer to a pick'em, like if more money keeps piling in on Pudalova, maybe I'll fade. Uh, Fade the MMA betting community and and throw a little a couple little shillings on on Shevchenko by eighty six hundred. Not interested in getting involved in that, especially like a, a stand up striking affair. And we haven't seen enough volume from her in any of her fights to really indicate that she's worth this type of price. Well, what's your take? Yeah, yeah. The problem with Pudlova is that it's like almost a tempting dog play and that I could get behind her, but she'd have to mix in takedowns at some point in her game. And this is a girl who has attempted effectively zero takedowns in her UFC career. She's just really happy to stand there and strike with you. Now, she has volume. I know what you're saying. There's no volume. She has volume in the sense like it's like a Caitlin Chukagian volume. Shit's happening but it's not like significant clean strikes landing all the time. So even if I was taking this as a dog play, it still doesn't look good at $7,600 on DK because quite frankly, even if she does squeak out this win over Valentina, it's going to be low score. Valentina doesn't allow you to hit her all that often. <laughs> imagine living with... with uh, Antonina. Sorry, sorry, Antonina. But, but uh, imagine Antonina living with Valentina Shevchenko. Your training sessions are involving don't get hit because you don't want to get hit. She's a good counter puncher. Defensively, she's pretty savvy. She's the better, she's the better striker. She should just go through the motions and win what'll appear to be like a sparring match. It's gonna be an actual fight. 
and win a decision. But Pudilova is young. She's younger than her. She's active. She seems to have an okay gas tank. She's willing. She's tough. If she comes out there and just grinds with her and gets her up against the cage and can make this a dirty fight and actually does attempt takedowns, then maybe she can shift it in her favor. But for where it stands right now, I would think that Shevchenko gets the decision victory and that it's not worth playing on DK for either side. Tempting again on the dog side, but with Pudilova, I can't, I can't put any faith in her going out there and executing a game plan that she has never even attempted or thought about. So for that reason, if it's going to be a striker versus striker matchup, then this is the UFC saying, okay, we understand that Antonita is not her sister. We understand that Antonita isn't at that level, but let's match her up. She's a Muay Thai. She's a three-time Muay Thai uh, champion. Let's match her up with somebody that's just going to stand there and throw down with her, and that's what they're getting here at least. So it's kind of playing in her favor. I don't love it for big favorite status by no stretch, and I definitely don't like it on DK, but the play would be uh, Antonina Shevchenko. We move on down the card. We have Jordan Espinoza taking on Matt Danger Schnell. Jordan Espinoza, 8,200. Schnell is 8,000. Uh, Espinoza, minus 125. Schnell, plus 105. Who you got? Yeah, this is the one I've been kind of going back and forth with. I mean, ultimately, you probably should pass. But but on an actual uh, breaking it down anyways, Jordan Espinoza, his thing is, he's got all the skills in the world, man. He's a guy that... Uh, you know, out with uh, with Latrell, with he's out with Greg Jackson. He's out of a great camp. He's only 29 years old. He's a decent prospect. He's a former state wrestling champion. He's extremely fast, Paul. He's got a decent submission game. Uh, he's only got two official knockout wins on his record. However, he's got some pop. You know, a lot of the times he's dropping these guys, like the fight with uh, on Contender Series against Nick Urso, drops this guy with a head kick and then hits him with the Dars choke. Like, there's definitely some power there. The issue is that he kind of seems to just be so unbelievably athletic that he gasses himself out quick. There's just like so much movement, so much that goes into the takedown attempts, so much that go into just like hopping in and out of the pocket with these big one shot, uh, one sh one shot offerings at a time. Kind of gasses him out, kind of takes its toll on him, so to speak, as time goes on. And when you see these fights, like once that first three four minutes is out of there, the wheels has come off for this guy. But again, only 29, not of a great gym. If he figures it out mentally, if he figures out just how to conserve himself, he'd be a lot better. So when he comes to the UFC and he's taking on Eric Sheldon, I don't think a whole lot of people are backing him just because Sheldon, for as awful as he's been in the UFC, eh, the, it looked like there was something there. People were betting him, you know. I had a little bit of confidence in him in that spot. But for the first time, Jordan Espinosa didn't gas himself out. He kind of paced himself decently. He was way faster, he had a better wrestling game, and he was able to touch him up and ultimately take the decision. So if that's an indication of where he's headed, then he's going to be a lot better than maybe I'm giving him credit for. But Schnell, not a better wrestler, but he's a better grappler. He's got better jiu-jitsu. As far as the stand-up goes, people have been worried about Schnell's chin because of those consecutive knockout losses early in his UFC career. But since that, you're seeing a guy that's developing. He's another guy that's out of American Top Team. As you mentioned, the team's on a roll. He's on a personal roll, 3-0. And his last win's a first-round submission with a triangle choke over Louis Smolka. So if, for whatever reason, this fight does hit the ground, and I am giving the wrestling advantage to Espinoza, if Espinoza chooses to take it to the ground, I, I think I got Schnell here. They both got seven submission wins versus two TKOs, but I'm going to give it to Schnell. As far as the stand-up goes... Fuck, dude, Espinosa is going to be a lot faster. Mm -hmm. But I think Schnell can break him down. I think he'll have a great game plan. He'll come in great shape. He'll be able to tire this guy down. And if I'm a fighter and I'm getting ready for a guy that's unbelievably athletic, that moves like the wind, 
ATT is a great place to be, man, because there's just a lot of people that are in that same boat. So I feel like this is going to be a war of attrition. And as long as Chanel doesn't get clipped early, he should be able to drag him in some deep waters and drown him there. So give me Matt Chanel. Again, I'm going back and forth on it, but Chanel is going to be the official play. And uh, I don't love it again. It, it probably should be a pass. But we're going to go with uh, my MTV boy, MTV caged, Matt Danger Chanel. We've got Mara Romero Barella taking on Lauren Murphy, 8,700 Barella, uh, 7,500 Murphy, minus 200 and plus 170, respectively. First off, I have no, yeah, yeah, neither one of these fighters really interests me from a DraftKings perspective. Let's, the only thing that you'd maybe, you'd be like, Maybe Barella gets fight to the ground, finds a submission. Like that's that's the only way that one of these two really pays off. Otherwise, if you have a a women's flyweight striking affair between the two of these ladies, nah, nobody's scoring big. Minus two hundred Barella, no thank you. Honestly, this is a straight this card. This card falls off a cliff uh, right around this point. <laughs> the early prelims of this. Uh, are pretty trashy. It's not this is this card. is pretty this is pretty bad, man. Um, I have no interest in either one of these, either one of these girls. I have no interest in this fight, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, well, this is another fight that could absolutely go either way. I don't think there's you could have very much confidence in either lady. Laura Murphy looked good at 135 in the sense that she's fighting the best in the world and she's given them a competitive go, but it never worked out for her. Dropping down to 125, it's like, oh man, she's going to be a contender, but. She looked out of sorts of it on The Ultimate Fighter, and so far her run in the UFC at 125, just, you know, not that great. She got into MMA late. She's got a kind of a, she's got a really interesting and neat story behind her, you know, a perennial underdog, someone that you root for. But you got to imagine at this point in her life, she's got a lot of mileage behind her, and she kind of just fights like a reckless bulldozer that, you know, training is the same way. Like, it just, it gets to you as time goes on. This is a sport where that younger athlete's going to come up and clip you eventually. And and you almost worry, is Lauren Murphy at her best days? But Barella's not too far off, man. At 32 years old, I think everybody jumped in on the fact that, oh, man, that win over uh, Faria in her, in her debut looks pretty good. She's got some decent grappling chops. She's another fighter out of American top team. Let's get behind her. But I, I'm not sold whatsoever. I mean, looking back on the footage of her, uh, starting off with, uh, she beats Miliana Dudieva in Invicta in the main event. It's a split decision. The fight's not super spirited, but at the same time, she's able to take down. T-Rex arms. Yeah. Then she takes on Faria. She gets a real easy takedown in the first round and then immediately takes it back, gets the choke in, gets the win. Now there's some hype around her. The Caitlin Chukagian fight, very interesting to note that Barella actually, on paper, outstrikes Ch Caitlin Chukagian. She outstrikes her in the numbers, probably is up two rounds, maybe loses the third she probably should have won that just fight. But no, no. Caitlin Chukagi makes a lot of noise when she's fighting. And it just gives yeah. you the impression. Yeah, yeah. It gives yeah. you the impression you're oh. getting motherfucking outworked. When it's like none of this shit is landing. The impression is you're getting outworked. So she loses that fight. And then the Taylor Santos fight. Santos is 15-0. and I don't think she's a great prospect. She's like 15-0. and And Barella, this is the issue here is that. Santos is able to control her pretty easy up against the cage, right? They, they exchange takedowns in the first round, and then Santos making her debut, 15-0. She's never fought anybody decent. It's like that big adrenaline dump, that, that, that experience, experiencing new things in the octagon, it got to her. She tires out. Brella ends up taking a split decision over. Should have been unanimous, but all the same, takes a split decision over. Laura Murphy don't slow down. She don't get tired. And she don't mind holding you up against the cage and battering you. 
and she's got a lot more work rate and volume stand-up. So even though Barella's a little sharper, kind of everywhere, she's going to get outworked, I get the impression of. So I would like to tell you, the smart decision is, pass on this fight. But but I'm going to take Laura Murphy. I think she outworks her for a decision. Yeah, Claudio Silva taking on Cole Williams. Claudio Silva is 9,400 on DraftKings. Uh, uh, Williams is 6,800, minus 440, plus 350, respectively. Silva, obviously the most expensive guy on the card. Is Cole Williams any good? I haven't done tape on him yet. What about you? Yeah, so I'm going to play Cole Williams. He's a massive underdog, and I I understand why he's an underdog, but this is a great price. You you hate Claudio Silva. I hate Claudio Silva. You really hate him. him For, for, For the people watching. Cody has been against Claudia Silva like every fight. I know, but we have a very unique situation here, Paul. Okay. We were going to fade him against Ramazan Amiv. Duh. But Amiv pulls out. Yeah, that would have been And it wouldn't have been a great fade in the sense that Amiv was probably going to be like a two and a half, three to one favorite. I mean, his wrestling checks out. At least 200. At least 200. You know, it's not really a fade. We're betting a two-to-one favorite. Whereas now we're presented with an opportunity to get a big, fat dog. Cole Williams coming in as a three-to-one underdog. Uh, He's on a week's notice, and he's 35 years old. He's making his UFC debut. But, like, he's not that bad. He's got the skills to win this fight. So Cole Williams, when you look at, say, just his topology or his sure dog, whatever, you're missing the biggest part about his career. Was his time on Bellator's Fight Master reality show? Whereas that's like you get the biggest indication. As far as his record goes, it's just a bunch of schlubs on the regional scene in Iowa outside of his win over maybe John Poppy, who missed weight and he knocked out in the first round. But it's that Fight Master reality show, right? So he's on episode two. He gets shit going. He beats, I'm just bringing it up here. Uh, he beats Joe Williams, right? He beats Joe Williams in a three round. It's one, one go. So they force like an overtime round, third round. Joe Williams used to be an all American wrestler out of uh, Michigan state. The guy's a good fighter. Cole Williams beats Joe Williams, tires him out, superior striking, takedown defense looks pretty good and he gets through. So now the show is you get to pick what team you want to be on. Once you get, if you get into the show, he just won. He gets into the show. You can pick a uh, Joe Warren's team, Frank Shamrock's team, Greg Jackson's team, or Randy Couture's team. He picks Randy Couture's team. Then in the second round of the show, Cole Williams takes on Mike Dubois, takes him down, chokes him out in the first round. Third round of the show, he takes on Nick Barnes, LFA veteran, knocks him out in the first round. This is the interesting thing here, right, Paul? All of the fighters that were on Bellator's Fightmaster reality show, they got ranked, right, as like a seeded fighters coming into the tournament. Joe Riggs was the number one seeded guy in that tournament. Nobody had any business fighting against Joe Riggs. He was obviously the best guy in the tournament. I'm not just saying that because I'm a Riggs fanboy. He's the fucking best guy in the tournament. He's the number one seeded guy. Cole Smith's the number five seeded guy out of everybody in the tournament. So once they get down to the, the, the semifinal matchups, there's only four guys left, the coaches reseed them. You got Randy Couture, Greg Jackson, Frank Shamrock, and Joe Warren reevaluate the four guys remaining. And they reseed Cole Williams above Joe Riggs as the number one seed. And then Cole Williams calls out Joe Riggs, fights him, loses a split decision, really close fight. And his career has never rebounded since. So like six months ago, Joe Riggs is fighting for fight nights out in Alberta. They need an opponent for him. So they give me a call. They're like, can you find an opponent for Joe Riggs? So I call Cole Williams and I say, would you be interested in rematching Joe Riggs? Only Riggs fights at 185 now. Williams, I I offer him the fight at 185. And he's like, I, I way prefer to fight 170. I haven't moved on to 185. Even though the fight with Poppy is listed at 185, he made 170. Poppy missed weight, so the commission is listed it as a middleweight fight. But mm-hmm. he's a 170-pound fighter. All the same, he says, I'll fight Joe Riggs. I'll fight Joe Riggs at 185 pounds, but I want 10 grand. And I felt really bad to say it, but like, 
Cole Williams wasn't worth 10 grand to some promotion out in Alberta. Like, this is the regional scene. As much as I would love to pay this guy the world, like, no promotion is ever going to get $10,000 worth of Joe. They shouldn't have even bringing out Joe Riggs out there in the first place. Like, how many tickets is he going to sell? But all the same, uh, you know, he's a fan favorite, so you bring him out. You need an opponent. Maybe bring Cole Williams out. Cole Williams declines it, says it's short notice, uh, doesn't want to take it. And now to see him in the UFC, it's like, it's a, it's a cool moment because he's 35 years old. He's had a long career. Like, he's listed at 11-1, and one, but you give him back those five fights that he had on, on Fightmaster. Like, he's got 20 pro fights. He's 35. He's never had a big opportunity outside of that show. He's never... They, Bellator never brought him back. They booked him once. Fight fell through. Never brought him back. No major organization ever gave him a shot. And now he is taking on Claudio Silva. So that's the fun, cool story of him. But how does he physically match up in this fight? Paul, he's a decent wrestler. He can keep the fight standing. Beyond that, he's got good cardio. And beyond that, the guy can fucking bang. He's got some serious power. Claudio Silva is unbelievably one-dimensional. You watch his wins in the UFC, and every time, you could actually make a legitimate argument that it's lucky. He's lucky that he caught that kick against Nordin Taleb because he was getting straight beat up. He's lucky that Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts has zero ring IQ because he was on his way to losing. He has no cardio. All of his punches are extremely telegraphed from the outside. All he has is a bull rush, bulldozer, low single leg, and if he happens to get on top of you, you're in trouble. But he was on top of Danny Roberts, and he couldn't submit Danny Roberts, so what's he going to do? Submit Cole Williams? Cole Williams hasn't been submitted in 10 fucking years, Paul. So this is a big dog play in the sense that nobody's got any footage, good footage, on Williams. Nobody's playing Williams. They're all just assuming that, oh, he's 10 days notice. I can't find anything on him. He's probably no good. You said it your best. You said it yourself. Styles make fights here. And this is a style that actually favors Cole Williams. And so my very last thing on it. Well, I didn't say Styles make fights in this with fight. regards to this fight. No. Well, my last point on it is going back to Cole Williams versus Joe Williams. Is that Joe Williams was a, was a Michigan State Spartan? He's shooting. He's an athletic guy. He had a great takedown game. And when you go back to that, you realize Cole Williams can wrestle. Now, six years later, is he still at that level? Maybe not. But I'm willing to take a poke because the odds are so so big. And when Cole Williams fought Joe Williams, not even making this up, special guest referee, former Tampa Bay Buccaneers first round draft pick, and current running back coach for the Auburn Tigers, Cadillac Williams. So that was a night you had three Williams in the same cage. And you know who won? Cole. So <laughs> I'm playing him here o over Silva. Believe you me. Cole Williams would be the guy you'd be probably happiest to see in a back alley, though. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. All right. And finally, we've got Han Hannah Goldie versus Miranda Granger. It says that it this is listed, at least on Tapology as being on the main card. I was just going off of the Bet365 oh, we're, page. We're, we're way all over the place in terms of... Well, what I followed the DraftKings, but what they had they're is... they're all over the place. So honestly, like man, like, this fucking fight is on the main main card. Hannah Goldie versus Miranda but it Granger. Was just, it wasn't supposed this to be. This is why people... listed are, as a prelim, and then, like, two days ago yeah, or something, they switched it. Like, this, it is made why, no sense. this is why it people are losing, losing interest in some of this product, to be perfectly honest, is this yeah. shit right here. I hear you. Uh, Hannah Goldie was on the uh, the Contender Series. She's 8,800 and a minus 155 favor. Miranda Granger is 7,400 plus 135. You look through Miranda Granger's experience lots of first round finishes some names i rec recognize like gaming montenegro like some of like the the jobbers from like invicta and that type of stuff so it's like she's doing what she's got to do 
in those spots. Goldie, super, super athletic. Used to be married to uh, Alex Nicholson. That all fell out. Oh, I wonder what happened. He seemed, he seems Florida, like a winter Springs, Florida. He seems like a really, uh, really stable individual. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't have a, I don't have a real take on this fight either yet. To be perfectly honest, it's low level women's. I wasn't impressed by Goldie. I didn't think she, she deserved a contract they gave her because she's a blonde haired girl in a division that they need more fighters. That's literally what happened yeah, on Dana White yeah, Contender yeah. Series. She didn't she, have a good is, performance. She, she is a fitness ball. I want to I wanna bet the underdog here, but uh, I obviously have to do a little bit more tape. What's your take here? Yeah, there'll be a time to fade Goldie, but like this ain't it. Like she, what, what she brings to the table works for what she's dealing with. Like this level and this division, being extremely strong and athletic, and she's an amateur, she's got an amateur boxing pedigree. And that's kind of the thing on, on Hannah Goldie here is that uh, she was supposed to be a decent boxer coming up. Like, she's got good hands. She's very functional. And then, I guess, kind of shit in her personal life gets in the way. She turns to MMA. She beats Jillian Robertson. That's her debut is a win over Jillian Robertson, which in hindsight is fucking huge. But then she has a kid, like, immediately after. Not immediately after. You know what I mean. Like, she now didn't fight for two years after that Jillian Robertson fight because she had a child. Then shit goes south with... Alex Nicholson. He's Alex the Spartan Nicholson. She's Hannah the Queen of Sparta Goldie. Shit goes south. She comes back to MMA and then honestly, man, like you look at any of the pictures of her, she's a she is a fitness model. She's unbelievably jacked. She's in incredible shape. She reminds me, not that her skill or her style is the same, but Justine Quiche. Justine Quiche is extremely limited, but when she was fighting other limited fighters, she can get away with no technique, all strength, because they didn't have enough to close that gap. It's when Justine Key started fighting better fighters, better grapplers, that they were able to expose something in her game. When I looked at her versus Callie Robbins on Dana White's Contender Series, Callie Robbins is a decent grappler as well. The problem was that she wasn't nearly strong enough to get Goldie to the ground, which allowed Goldie to keep the fight standing and outbox her. That's all she needs to do. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen here, too. I feel like Miranda Granger is going to have trouble getting the fight to the ground. Therefore, she has to stand. Have you watched any of the tape on Miranda Granger standing? Not good. So if she gets forced into that fight, it's going to be Hannah Goldie all day. So I'm going to take Goldie here. Probably a decision because I don't think she's got uh, potent finishing power by, by no stretch. But uh, Hannah Goldie by decision. You want to talk about the Greek? Oh, yeah, that was her last fight. I was like, that's a main card fight, Paul. But you're right, you're right. Uh, yeah, no, the DraftKings no, has it. The DraftKings the follows, the, uh, the, follows the best fight odds page, and that's kind of the, the rundown. Because we ran out of toner, wasn't <sighs> able to print out my regular sheet and stuff like that. Embarrassing. And uh, so I've just been running off of a laptop. I've got a keyboard in front of me, a phone. I've got this. I've got that. No, I feel for so you, man. It's a busy I, one. I but uh, you do a card every week, and every week it's like something goes south for you in terms of, you know, either something on my scheduling issue or the computer no, or no, the no, toner no. or the... If no, you no. saw your setup here right now, it's like you're basically like it's at not the a one. It's not a one-man job. Man. You're like, like Captain... It's getting kind of crazy. You're like Captain Kirk at the helm of a goddamn <laughs> spaceship here. <laughs> you look at you, you're like... Boop, 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 boop. We need That's another. Paul. We definitely need another Chad. It's uh, it's it's tough. It's tough doing it. But anyway, well, apply in the comment section below if you live near the Toronto yeah. area and want to come switch the show. Director Chad, we called him producer Chad, but realistically, you're just directing it. You know, camera switches. Let us know. I'm just gonna run through it real quick according to the topology rundown, just to put people on the same page. But yeah, well, there, there, there is going to be description. There's, there's there's a list of where where we talk about every single fight with their last names and time codes. Yeah, so I know. They, I'm just gonna do are... my regular rundown, like end of the okay. show rundown. Sure. 
Colby Covington, 225, in. Clay Guida, he's the dog at 145, in. Nazareth's only 245 right now. I don't love it. It's getting a little out of hand, but I see money's coming in. Joachim Silva, so I'll wait it out, and I'll bet Nazareth. Trevin Giles versus Gerald Mearshard. Like, man, Travis Giles did not look good last time out. However, I feel like he's going to be able to make the turnaround here, get the win. 170 is not a bad price. Money's coming in on him, so get it now, because anything more than this, you don't want no part. Holtzman, fuck, I'd love to bet him, dude. But 440, it's not even getting anywhere. This guy might go off at like five, five and a half to one. That I'm completely not interested in, but he is the pick. Uh, Kennedy's the dog right now. Like Paul said, he might not be the dog for much longer. So see what you can get. Plus 115 as the time being. I would take Kennedy. Mickey Gall versus Celine. Like the, the official pick, I guess, is I'm just going to label it as dog or pass. Plus 105, I guess, I guess that forces my hand. I'm not even going to say the name because I hate saying that's who I would bet. But I, I'm personally just going to pass on this one. Then I'll go Shevchenko, greasy decision, uh, closer than it should be, but she should be able to win it on, on her feet. Matt Schnell. That's a minus 105, minus 115. No dog there, but, you know, it's close. Lauren Murphy's another juicy dog, minus or plus 170, you know? I don't like her on DK because this is going to be an awful fight to watch. There's going to be, there could be a lot of cage control. There could be a lot of just nothingness, poor technique. But she'll let Hustler. And for 170, I, I'm digging that. Cole Williams, plus 350, in. And you know what? Money's still rolling in on Claudio Silva. So hopefully it continues to be that way. And you get even better than Cole Williams. So you don't feel about throwing a little nickel that way. And then uh, Hannah Goldie, minus 155. Try to improve those odds by taking it by decision. That's the Croat, ladies and gentlemen. You should be taking the Greeks job. <laughs> at least, you wouldn't, at least yeah. you wouldn't be saying that, oh, I got... Uh, I'm part of some big syndicate. I bet on Neil versus Price inside the distance at even money. It's just like, dude, that was an offshore book accepting $250 maxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go on TV with that? You're not even full. You're not even fooling the casuals at this point. Even the casuals are in on it, knowing (laughs) knowing that this guy's completely full of shit. Like turned into a meme. It's hilarious. I think it's really, really funny. It doesn't really trigger me. Like I don't. I wouldn't want his job anyway. I wouldn't want that position. But it's just like somebody who has some sort of knowledge has got to like speak to this guy and be like, this isn't looking good for you, bro. Yeah, but like the internet's all over him. Yeah, I know. He's turned into and a he meme just for sure. he hides after he loses, and I don't know. He's he's making all of the wrong moves in the in the gambling community. Yeah, yeah. I think I think if somebody just tuned into Dana White's Contender Series and just happened to be watching fights randomly and they saw this guy give his opinion, they wouldn't even bat an eye. The thing is, who the fuck's watching Dana White's Contender Series unless you have money riding on? You're it? hard, it's hardcore. It's only it's, hardcore. D- d- it's and a card completely based around gambling. It's if you couldn't gamble for- on that shit, you wouldn't watch it unless it was your cousin that was fighting yeah, for you. Because what's the difference between Let's that and any other regional MMA promotion? It's worse. PFL the only has difference, legitimate talent. This exactly. does not have legitimate I meant like, awful. what's the difference between this and and a, a CES MMA card? Really nothing. Nothing, nothing at there's all. There's literally no, nothing. nothing. The only difference no. is there's betting odds. No. That's in literally fact, the only difference. In fact, there's guys that appear on those cards that are from CES MMA and are not even champion quality. Mm-hmm guys like they're not even the the champions over in these organizations now mind you i know i just said the talent's awful i retract that statement the talent's just green it's just guys that you shouldn't be fighting in the ufc and if you go and you smash some guy in contender series and it's a fun fight and he he shouldn't have been there either you get a contract and then what happens do they sign a bunch of guys that are also green and shouldn't be there for you to fight like it waters down the product and then i, I can see the look in your eyes paul 
you're you're almost starting to feel defeated and it's the volume of cards and i you're not the only one i feel like there's a lot of people feeling the same way you stop caring as much because it's 12 fight card 13 fight card 12 fight card 12 fight card a contender series a pfl a bellator yeah. and the pfl it's hard keeping up the with bellator, the rosters of all this these yeah, days man and, and, and to be honest if you told me i could watch a card like i also this, have to follow golf and football and all of these yeah, other course. sports every yeah, single yeah. day and uh yeah, it's uh, there's, there's just not enough room up here to keep all of it like it was back in the day for yeah, me. Yeah, of course. So, and also now nowadays you want to chase the carrot, which is a big matchup. You want to you want to be able to say, hey, I, I'm going to go after that big matchup and watch that big matchup. But if you put up this card, which is a great main event, don't get me wrong. I like but if the you main but event. if you put the quality of this up versus a Jason Knight bare knuckle boxing event, like people are going to watch that. Because that's easy to consume. It's one or two fights you're interested in. So you tune in and you want your watch one or two fights. This is full cards weekend and week out. Like to do proper research on a card, it could take you 10, 10 days. You think you got 10 days in between these cards to do your research? No, motherfucker. You got two, three days at most. Like you come out of it on Sunday. That's your rest day. I don't even have Monday, that type of time Monday, you might be able to days. research. Tuesday you, might, Tuesday, you research. Wednesday, you've got to do the show. You've got Tuesday's research. Like it's a rush job. It's a rush job, which is why a lot of the time. But, but my passes are passes. I could watch a million hours of tape on it. Like those are, pa- those are straight up. You shouldn't bet on this. Mm-hmm. Nobody's got an edge on this unless they know one guy broke his ankle or some shit. But for the most part, I mean, that's what it is. The Greek doesn't have an edge. He's just going on Twitter and being like, oh, okay, yeah, seems like everybody's on this. I'm fucking on this. But it's like, man, you're not, you're not, you can't explain yourself. Nobody's interested in this shit. But 100%, somebody was like, Dana, you know your contender series thing? It's a gambling product. Everybody's gambling on it. Why do you think they have odds out like two days before PFL can get odds out? It's ridiculous. It's a gambling product. Let's have a gambling guy come on. Dana was probably like, who do you got in mind? And I bet you it was one of those... I got a body situation. This is like, there's no way this guy with any merit got himself. If it was, I, I don't know. I hear he does a lot of other sports. I hear he's good at other sports. I can only judge him on what he's done in this specific role. But I can name you half a dozen guys on my Twitter account mm. right now that would do a fucking way better job than this guy. No, no joke. Kyle Marley or or Brett Apley or you know Daniel Levy like all those guys could take this or guy's you. job. Yeah, but I don't. I'm not one of those guys. Like I don't want to toot my own horn. I'm living the life I want to live, and it doesn't doesn't mean nothing to me to fly to Vegas every weekend and do that shit. But all those guys, you know, they could do as good of a job as I could, or whatever. I'll let the audience be the judge of that. But those guys could do that motherfucker's job, no problem. So that's or or you, you know what I mean? Mm. But your fucking plate is so full. I don't man. want to do it. So full. So full. I'm, I don't want to do it, to be perfectly honest. What would you rather do? Tee up five minutes of picks or do a fucking hour and a half show every single week? Be honest. You'd rather t- tee up five or ten minutes of hot picks. That'd be the life, wouldn't it? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. You got all week to prepare. <laughs> and it's not even every week. This shit's every week. That shit's every two weeks, you know? like. Yeah, fair enough. Anyways, that's my final thoughts. I, all I'm saying is... Uh... Was it uh, cash the Croat, trash the Greek? That's what I'm saying. Those are my final thoughts on this. Well, how about we take that tag I made back in the day? I won't say who I made it for, but we'll say Greek is a mush, and then we're going to go hashtag crush the mush. Crush the mush. I like it. I like it a lot. All right, thank you, Cody Safdick, bringing down the fights with me as always. For Cody, I am Paul saying goodbye and good luck. You have no experience! Experience!